This week on Plot Points Podcast, we get bigly sick. We reveal our comic book biases, and we open a box of very revealing photographs. I'm Batman. This is Plot Points Podcast. Recording. You guys ready? Welcome. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Ready. All right. Hi, this is Mark with Plot Points Podcast. Uh, we are again doing a remote session, so we have myself in uh, my office, uh, Toby Walwork in his office. Say hello, oh, Toby. Sorry, and good morning, everyone. And Victor Fan in jail. No, he's in his office. He's our he's our guest today. Yeah, good morning, everyone. I'm uh, reporting live from Slauson. <laughs> uh, so, um, so I had an interesting day yesterday. I went to a conference called Literary Orange, uh, and I, I've gone before, uh, but for some reason this time it really – well, I'll tell you why. It had an impa- a very big impact, but it's a great conference. It's put on by the uh, Orange County Library Association, I, I think is what it's called. Uh, forgive me if I'm getting that wrong. I think it's called the uh, Orange County Public Library Foundation. Uh, but they put on this literary event every year. They had literally, uh, well, somebody told me they have 700 attendees plus a waiting list of 350. So it's a huge, it was at the uh, Marriott in um, Newport Beach. And it's basically books. Um, A a screenwriter really has not a lot of business there, except that I'm a fantastic uh, fan of literature and reading, as I know both of you are, and it was fun. Um, And I met uh, somebody who may help me with my book proposal for my screenwriting book. She's a a former um, editor for Random House. Oh, wow. That's huge. Yeah. And she knows... She's kind of like the Larry Porcelli of uh, of uh, literary, so uh, so that was a good result. And uh, I I got to say the two the they had three keynote speakers. They had uh, Elizabeth Smart, who was the young girl who was kidnapped um, and held hostage, I think from the age of eleven or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she, news. She still looks like a. A child. I didn't get to hear her speak, but I saw her uh, wandering the halls of the conference. And then uh, Anna Quinlan, um, who was really fantastic. What a what a great speaker! And uh, uh, Bajalian, Eric Bajalian, or Chris. I'm sorry, Chris was Chris Bajalian. They both of them have, had us rolling in the aisles. It was truly a, a, a lot of fun. It's a, it's a great event. Anyway, it's uh, put on by the library. It supports the library system. Um, there were some. It, there was seven hundred people, six hundred and ninety of whom were women, and ten of us males. It was very odd, uh, especially when they started to talk about um, the male centric um, boardroom <laughs> and how those guys, apparently, according to Anna Quinlan, don't like to read. So. Hmm. Uh, I felt a lot of eyes on me at that point, but um, anyway, that so was fun. It was long, but it was fun. Well, if I could, as I could, kind of encapsulate the the uh, I hate to use the term zeitgeist, but what would you say was the biggest takeaway from like the 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 state of of books? Oh, it's yeah, that's a great question, by the way, Toby. Uh, that I felt like books. A lot of the speakers cent- centered around that question, which is uh, reading is not dead. Libraries are not dead. Um, there's still a rabid audience um, for literature, um, even if that literature is not literature literature, like A Tale of Two Cities or whatever. Um, but there, everybody there was enthusiastically pro-reading and, and literature, and so... Um, the takeaway I, I came away from it is that is there are people out there who are actively fighting 
the uh, the dumbing down of America and the fact that supposedly we don't like to read anymore. Um, I I don't know. I mean, seven hundred out of how many millions in the United States is a small sampling, but and they were obviously motivated. But man, it felt good to be in a room where people appreciated books and literature. And they mentioned yeah. Chris Bajalian has is having his one of his books, uh, his flight attendant book. Uh, Kelly Cuoco is taking the lead role in in the adaptation of one of his books. So we'll see how that all goes. But uh, anyway, well, that's good. That's I mean, I, I, I guess the takeaway is that it's sort of hopeful. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And I know you're an avid reader, and I know Victor is also. Um, although I'm not sure porn counts, but um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was it was great. It was a fantastic. A lot of a lot of great energy. Neither male nor female. Uh, non-gender specific energy everybody was smiling um what are we watching and i want to mention a couple of things because one of it one of it has pertinence to the podcast but uh the only, i've been kind of uh trying to finish up some of these series i've let lapse like halt and catch fire and um I started back on Californication. I'm on season five, I guess. And um, but this one new pro- project I saw at Netflix called Fallet, F A L L E T, is kind of cute. It's a uh, it's a really famous British actor, character actor. His name is Adam Godley. Um, if you saw a picture of him, you would know him because he's been in just about any everything. He actually played played a pretty wicked evil man in the TV, the American TV series Suits, but he's a British actor. And it, it the the conceit or the premise is that a Swedish and British um, investigating team has to solve a murder, and it's a pretty brutal murder. But it's the, it's a comedy. It's a kind of a comedy take on it. So it's and they're only half hour episodes, which is weird. I, I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like that, except for Murder in Paradise or Murder in Suburbia. So that I watched that, and then um, I want we watched a Wind River um, for class and broke that down. And I want that to be the next script that we're going to break down. So I'll post a link um, to the to the script. But Wind River is with uh, J- Jeremy Renner and uh, Elizabeth Olsen. And it's written by the same uh, writer who did, um, oh, God, um, well-received film. He wrote and directed, directed this one. Mary Claire would know. She, it's one of her favorite, uh, favorite writers. Anyway, we'll, we'll be doing that for, for the next podcast. So put that in the notes. It's uh, Taylor Sheridan is the writer. And what yeah. else did he do? Well, I'm I'm going to pretend I'm pulling that off the top of my head because my <laughs> internet's only as fast as it. Well, first of all, he's incredibly handsome. Like I just loaded up his IMDb page and he looks like a model. He's uh, an so actor. I, I already hate him. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's oh yeah, he is an actor. He's been in a oh he's been in NCIS Los Angeles. So there you go. Whatever that is as well. Uh, let's see here, writer uh, Yellowstone Sicario. Part, well, he has characters in the second Sicario, but obviously he wrote the first Sicario. He wrote Hell or High Water. That's it, yeah. And uh, and Wind River. Yeah. And Wind R- the reason I want to break down Wind River is because he's a really good writer, um, but he tends to do some things that are I, that pretty much are considered a no-no in, in screenwriting. And so I want to talk about that and that whole gestalt. But, um, yeah. Well, he, real, real quickly um, – have you seen? Did you, so you saw it, uh, Vic. Have you seen Wind River? Not yet. Okay, I I really recommend it. Now I I don't want to talk about it till we talk about it, but it's also interesting. That's going to be interesting to go over because, especially because he was the director. He also does some directory things that are very oh that interesting. was interesting. Yeah. And um, so yeah, I look forward to talking about that. Yeah, it's uh, we when when I assigned the movie to the class, I went and found the script and I read it and. Uh, it's a it's an interesting read. It's a really I think it's a great a great script, except for some, the certain things the 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 directorly things that he's doing infuse themselves into the scripting things that he's doing. So anyway, uh, so what do you guys want? Anything? Uh, what are you watching, Tobe? Okay, well, it's been a very busy week. It took me an entire week to watch an entire episode of Happen Leonard. <laughs> um, are you on the third season? Yeah, I'm on third season. I just finished episode three. Um, it's super dark. Like, I'm really, it's just, 
it's really nice. Like you're really languishing in it, but, um, but it, it's just been the kind of week where I, I, when I get home from work, I'm like falling asleep on the couch after a few minutes. Mm-hmm. So forgetting what I just saw. So it's been a, in that respect, I, I don't, I don't bring too much to the table. Happen Leonard. Uh, it's great. Okay. Victor, I know you've been busy too, but uh, are you working? Are you writing? I'm not writing. Are you watching anything? Um, this this whole week's been pretty crazy with uh, you know grading and uh, portfolio reviews at the university and all that. But um, right, we should mention Victor is a multi multi talented <laughs> uh, screenwriter, producer, editor, illustrator, teacher, uh, tech guru. Uh, just about every a modern re- renaissance man, as I've, as I've heard him called. So. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mark. Um, yeah, the only thing I was able to squeeze in this whole week was uh, I watched um, The Help with Tali on Friday night. Our oh. Friday night movie was The Help, which was incredible. Yeah, I yeah. want to watch that film. It looks great. Um, yeah. I missed it when it was around. So Yeah, yeah. All the movies that came out when I was in grad school – um, I wasn't able to watch because when you're in grad school, they force you to watch like all these obscure European films and hardcore grindhouse art films and right. that type of stuff. Right. So like anything that came out during those years, I was mainstream at all. I didn't, I, I'm barely watching them now. Mm. Oh, that's cool. That's good that you that you have a library of stuff to watch though. So yeah. Um, all right. What are we working on? Anybody? And it doesn't have to be writing. Um, myself, I'm working on a couple things, but I'd rather hear from you guys on this. Uh, anything, uh, Toby, are you working on anything uh, besides your, your job? Your, your well, actually, something kind of interesting came up at work, and, um, and, and it's, it, it's obviously both been taking up a lot of my time this week, but um, we've got Upfronts coming up, and I think we've talked about that a little bit. Upfronts mm-hmm. are basically when all the trailers for the new TV shows come out. That's the simplest way to put it. It's, okay. These are trailers that are put together mostly to get uh, some audience interest in a show that will come out in the fall, but also to get advertisers interested and let's say this is what the show is going to be about and these people are really going to want to buy a Toyota, so you should, you should be on. Is this, is this, when, is this the con- – when, when they do those, those – uh, the upfront, like don't they do a big – to do for this for TV, yeah, it's like yeah. a week straight in New York. All, yeah, okay. and each one of the networks basically picks a day. It's one of the few times they sort of cooperate because you don't right. want to do yours on the same day as someone else's. Right. So, um, so yeah, for the next, basically for the next six weeks, um, I'm 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 kind of off the radar because of my commitment on these projects. But one of the things that was really like fun, like a, a, a gift and a challenge, was some of the pilots. Because a lot of these shows, they've only got the pilots done. And so we have to make a promo out of the pilot. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the pilots aren't even finished. They're oh, still shooting wow. the pilots. And wow. so they're sending us dailies. They're, sell- they're sending us what they shot two days ago. And they send us the script. And they send us the shots. And you start putting together the scenes. Now, I'm not going to be doing the promo. That's going to be more of a... There'll be a couple of people involved in that kind of thing. But m- what I've been doing this week was I was putting together the scenes for a pilot that isn't complete yet. And wow. so basically I'm just, it, in simple terms, I'm just cutting a narrative. I'm cutting a, a, like a, a movie, but it's, it's the pilot of a sort of a TV show. Which is harder, I would think, because you don't have as much, <clears throat> excuse me, wiggle room, right? Well, because this is just in-house and it won't be, it's obviously it's not for the network and it won't be broadcast. So it's more to familiarize everybody in the office or on the team that's assigned that project like, you know, like I can, I can watch the whole scene like this, or I can watch the whole scene from that person's point of view or from that person's point of view, and then think about how that affects the storytelling. Interesting. Which, of course, isn't my job to do that. You know, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not trying to tell America, like, this whole scene is about that woman there or that man there. But knowing that you have that, it, it, then you go back, and if you're reading, that's, that's how this all kind of pertains to what, what we do more with the podcast is. Mm-hmm. When you're reading the script action lines the way i write them the action line subtly suggests where the camera should be for that mm-hmm. you know because you can't put what well, you right. shouldn't put in your script extreme close-up on jennifer right you, you yeah. shouldn't direct at all yeah but but you do have a you do have a way to sort of nudge you do have a way to coerce yeah. and and so i was reading the script and seeing if the script was telling me where like mm-hmm. which angle? Mm-hmm. Because obviously, when they went and shot it, they said, "Put one there, put one there, put one there, and then we'll put them over your Yeah. And so I was going through the script and trying to see if the if the writer was telling me as the editor where they wanted the camera to be. 
<clears throat> well, thank God somebody's listening to the freaking writer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for once, right? Yeah, for once. Uh, well, that's that's pretty interesting. I think we should. I mean, uh, plan on at one point talking a little bit more about the way that you do your job because I do think it has repercussions, good ones for uh, writers and things like that. So maybe in a future podcast, we should talk a little bit about that. So, Victor, are you working on anything? Yeah, yeah. Um, Right now, I'm just in the process of rebranding my entire production company Uh from top to bottom. So that's why uh, I've been bugging about WordPress so much. but yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, the you know my 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 focus in the previous decade was uh, definitely more feature length film, that mm-hmm. type of stuff. But my focus now is definitely more uh, comic books and video games. So mm-hmm. I've been working primarily on that type of stuff, um, rewriting the scripts to be more visual, so I could go panel to panel to panel, mm-hmm. and then um, and then you know definitely just working on hand drawings and creating sprites and punching it all up in Java so it could be interactive on mm-hmm. uh you know platforms. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That's uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. I uh, I'm a big former comic book uh, fan. Uh, Toby, do you still read comic books? Do you still participate in that? Yeah, I do, actually. I, I especially trades, and I get them, f- uh, they get the Kindle app, and I watch them on my iPad. But, oh, but yeah, I still like to read. Yeah, we're going to be doing uh, a top 10 uh, comic book movie list in, a, in a, just a little bit, um, so we can all have our say about that, because um, I definitely don't agree with uh, Victor's list. So, uh because he's he's a definitely a a, a come to it later than I did uh, fan. So, um, all right. So uh, we have a an event coming up in April. Uh, Toby, do you want to talk a little bit about that and tell people where they can find information? Yeah, I guess I should start with for for more information about this event and anything else that's part of uh, OC Screenwriters uh, body of work. You can go to ocscreenwriters.com. Uh for our uh, events that happen on the third Wednesday of every month, you should go to OC Film and Television, ocfilmandtv.com, sorry, ocfilmandtv.com. It works now. I fixed that. So oh, <laughs> fantastic. And, uh, but always you can go to plotpoints.com or plotpointspodcast.com and we usually keep all of our upcoming events and dates, uh, there. And this would be, uh, April 18th. We have, uh, on, at C3, uh, coffee and vapors in Costa Mesa. Uh, we've got another one of our third Wednesday of the month events, and this is—I don't have it directly in front of me, but it's the, James James Herson. That's right, James Herson. James Herson is an entertainment attorney. Mark, is he your entertainment attorney? No, I'm with a I'm with a, a shark up in uh, L.A. But um, okay, but so I, I, he's local, I believe, right? Yes, James is James Orange County. Is Orange County based? Um, especially when we're on sort of the periphery of the industry and we want to get into it, uh, we have lots of questions and every event we do, somebody says like, how do I get an agent? Mm -hmm. And nobody asks, why do I get an agent? Mm -hmm. But an entertainment attorney is, uh, hopefully it's a no brainer and he can tell you some, some of the things you need to know before you get, uh, before you get ahead of yourself, but also, um, you know, I, I'm sure he's got a couple of funny stories about the inner workings of the industry that have very little to do with, creative problem solving but actually involve very creative problem solving yeah james is also uh billing himself as a talent agent which that's new to uh to him i think or maybe he's been he's he's been a friend of oc screenwriters for quite a while yeah, he, he did event for, for us before at the Ritz. Right, at the Ritz, which was well, very well received. He's a good student. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, that was a good time. Yeah, that was good. The script that we picked to break down uh, the first 15 pages is The Big Sick. Um, it, I thought it was a very good movie. I, a little uneven for me, but... Um, Anybody want to explain what the movie basically is about? Go ahead, Tobe. Okay. Uh, the Big Sick is, uh, it's a, I mean, to, to simply, it's a, it's a romantic comedy. Uh, but basically, one of the big interesting parts of The Big Sick is that the romance takes place under the, the cloud of uh, a life-threatening illness. Mm-hmm. But it's also uh, the characters are somewhat unusual because the main, I guess what we say, the main character, Kumail Nanjani, 
Uh, it's also a true story. That's important. But Kumail Nanjani is a Pakistani American and is still living with the culture, the, the culture clash of those two cultures. He's expected to have an arranged marriage, things like that. Mm-hmm. His parents are a very big part of his life. And he's also um, wrestling with his own independence, but still having reverence and respect for his parents, but being his own person. Uh, which is very interesting. Now that's also under the, the shadow that he meets and falls quickly in like with a girl. Uh, but then she has a very, uh, she has a health issue and she spends a lot of the movie in a coma and he then is getting to know her family and they don't know who he is because they weren't at that stage in their relationship. And it's, it's just, uh, it just kind of plays out from there. Yeah. And, and Zoe Kazan plays Emily, who's the, the now the true life wife of uh, Kumal, yeah. and Holly Hunter and Ray Romano play uh, her parents, which they're pretty they're pretty funny too. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, that's a pretty good uh, synopsis. Um, so let's look at first of all. I wanted to say I thought I don't know if you guys agree with me, but I thought the script was very funny. Uh, it was fast paced up to a certain point, and then it kind of slows down, and that's where I felt like it was uneven. Is the pacing seems to. Uh, get very much slower. I mean, spoiler alert, like Toby said, she gets sick. And once she gets sick, it's a, it's a different movie for me. Um, I was very charmed uh, by the relationship, but then, and it is based on a true story, right? Uh, Emily did get very. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. as it's, it's only a slightly fictionalized uh, account of what really happened when they first met. Yeah, so just I want to throw this out there and see what you guys think. Um, you mentioned it's a romantic comedy, and it is. Boy meets girl, boy gets girl, etc. But I also think that the illness uh, is presented in such a way that it's it's more of a coming-of-age story for Kumal, Kumal Najani. Um, and I think his uh, inability to navigate uh, his, his culture, his Pakistani culture and his American culture is part of him being immature and not wanting to cut his parental ties. In other words, as much as he detests the idea that his parents are trying to set him up with these girls, uh, he never, this is an issue this, that comes up later between them. Remember when she opens the box and sees all the pictures of those girls? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think that's fair? I, actually, I think that's a, I think that's a great point, and I think that's one of the the strengths of this script is that you know I said it's a romantic comedy, but it's also very much a coming of age story, and dealing with that. And I think that's one of the things that we can all consider in our writing is you can have more than one category. It's just you know one theme, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, but I mean, every romantic comedy is also a coming of age story because typically one or, or both of the characters are somewhat out of balance. They're they're immature. They don't want to step into adulthood, and I think that's underlying the 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 script, the movie. Is this uh, I don't want to grow up kind of Peter Pan thing? He's a comic. He's fun. He's having fun. He's beginning his career, and he meets this girl, falls madly in love with her, and and wants to be with her, but at the same time, doesn't want to cut. You know, doesn't want to put an end to uh, that the, his family, the, the the childhood that he had as a Pakistani. Yeah. All right. So looking at page one, um, I, well, I mean, we can talk about the first, let's talk about the first two or three pages. Let's go up to page three, because this is basically um, introduction of the character. Um, There's a a great opening monologue by um, Nanjani about um, him. And I think they show the, they show him in Pakistan. They show his early pictures of him, right? Children's pictures while he's narrating about who he was. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so that gets, that accomplishes so much. It tells you where he's, where he's from culturally. It tells you where he is now. Um, it gives you a sense of the tone. Um, it sets the normal world, which is him as a stand-up comic. Um, and it's a very funny monologue. It's probably maybe 10 lines, 12 lines, and it's, it's very compelling, I thought. Um, so I thought it was a really, it's a half a page, and it's really a great opening. Uh, I think if you open like this, it's almost guaranteed that people will read the rest of your script. 
that's uh, uh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and so the second page and the third page are also just meeting um, these kind of characters that are throughout the film backstage. We meet um, we meet his fellow comedians. Do, you, do we have a sense of where the what's club were they at? Do you know anybody? Know? Um, I don't know if they specify. Yeah. Uh, the it's just like door? is that the name oh, of the that's, club? yeah the yeah that's door. the name of the club yeah. I don't know if that's a real real club or not. Probably not, though, right? Um, well, I would, I would actually, I'd, I suspect it is. I'm, I'll look it up real quick, but keep okay. going. Okay. Um, I like, I like the, uh, and I like the the tone of the of uh, Nanjani's comedy. There's a there's a section in there where the MC is in the bathroom doing coke. Well, I mean, he doesn't admit that. It says Andy Dowd, a coked up MC, appears out of the bathroom. Dodd, no one's on stage. Mary, no. Dodd rushes the stage. Uh, Kumal, he might have been doing cocaine. I mean, that's his, that's his style of comedy, and it's very, it, it fits very well because the other ones are a little bit like that too, but um, it's it kind of that dry, sardonic, um, uh, self-aware wit of his. And that comes in um, when he does his stand-up on page three, and then um, on page four and... Let's see, five. Oh, okay. So up to page four, mm-hmm. it's basically him and his fellow comedians driving the, the opening for three or four pages. Right. Yeah. Trying to impress the, the, the guy that's there, Bob Gullivan. Right. Yeah. So, so they, do, they do sort of frame um, – it's interesting because they do world building that doesn't really pay off, but they do it in a way that it, it, it is going to pay off later. In, with, certainly within these 15 pages, it doesn't. But You mean the comedy club and stuff? Yeah, like the, yeah. the, the problem. You know, like what does Kumail need to do? Yeah. And he needs to get into this one comedy uh, festival. That's, right. that's Within these pages, that's really the only problem solution that we're, we're, we're totally presented with. But it does and, set the stakes. Yeah, absolutely. That's mm-hmm. that's what they do there. But then so much of the film is away from there. Mm-hmm. But it's nice that they laid it at the beginning because then when they do revisit it, which is which is many, many, many pages into it. Right. We do kind of go, Oh yeah, I mean that's why we met all those people. Right. That's why we that's why we know what that we know what his day job is or or kind of his night job. Yeah, he's an Uber driver, um as part of the because there's a funny when they have their relationship, she always sits in the back seat whenever he picks her up. Uh, and then they talk about uh, what is it? What is it called when the rates go up? Um, um, oh, was it uh, boost? Uh, yeah, like splurge rates or something like that. Surge, anyway, surge pricing. Surge, yeah, surge pricing. So she says, "I don't want to. I don't want to be in the back seat during surge pricing." And he says, "That's it's your fault. You called and, or something like that." It's pretty funny, but uh, but yeah. Th- so you're right. It it. I think the uh, the 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 comedy. Um, gatekeeper is to set the stakes of his career. In other words, he's got this, obviously he's got this relationship we're dealing with. It's the A story. So we had three, we had three or four basic stories. We have him and her, uh, which is the main thrust of the, of the uh, script. Mm -hmm. We have him and his career. We have him and his family and we have him and everything else uh, that he's, that he's aspiring to, um, you know, like uh, his his uh, falling in love and all that stuff. So there's three, at least three stories or four stories here swirling around, which I thought was another reason why the script reads so so damn well. It's you're never bored. I don't. Did you guys ever get stuck on anything in this movie or this script? It definitely moves. It, it yeah. moves pretty well into, like you said, into a slows down. Yeah. Well, and I think the slowdown is inevitable given what the story they're trying to tell. So I, I think I could have seen, watched this movie without the, her sickness in it. I don't know that, um, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Do you think it's a, it's an absolute integral part of it or could we have gone just with a romantic comedy? Well, I mean, I think that's one of the things that makes it a little out of the ordinary as far as the romantic comedy part goes. Different, right. Right. But, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. On page five, we're introduced to, is it page five? No, page five. Uh, and actually, kids, uh, I, you know, I got to stop saying that. That's Toby's uh, phrase. I got to say. Um, actually, you, you, this is not, there's some problems with the format in this script, which was kind of unusual, but it's. Yeah, I, I want to talk about that a little bit. All right, go um, ahead. As, as a screenwriting professor. Um, yeah, so, I mean, 
the, the you know as soon as I read page one, I could tell immediately that the writers were from TV because uh-huh. um, writers from TV write a lot differently than you know writers like you and I do, Mark, mm-hmm. uh, feature feature line film writers. Um, they the TV writers they get away with a lot more than we do because you know they're the bosses in their world and we're not the bosses in our world. That's a good point. Yeah, so um, there's a lot of like. Um, like in the action lines, they're they're allowed to suggest certain things, as opposed to with us, we have to like blatantly say it, you know, because right. we have to paint the picture. As opposed to them, they could just suggest the picture. Um, and then uh, the way that the dialogue flows too is completely TV style, where it's it's, it's button line, punchline, button line, punchline, button line, punchline, mm-hmm. you know, which mm-hmm. really works well um, in that format, you know. Um, and feature film, I don't think it works as well. I think given that he's a comedian. That was inevitable. I think his writing style lends itself to that because he's used to that uh, that punchline kind of uh, delivery, don't you think? No, I, I think so. Yeah, definitely. But it, it, just, it definitely popped out my eyeballs immediately when I started reading it. I'm like, well, <laughs> this is totally TV people. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you can write this well and this funny, I don't think uh, people are going to be criticized. You're right, though. It is a it is very TV. I didn't I hadn't thought in those terms, but. Um, I, you know, to, to me, it reminded me a little bit of Woody Allen, um, the way that Woody Allen delivers uh, punchlines and things like that. So I yeah, thought definitely. I thought it compared favorably. So it, one one of the points I think you brought up that was really well made is uh, the, the 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 bantery style of the conversation, especially certainly at the beginning of the film. I remember when I saw it, I, I wasn't really that happy with it because it felt a little glib and a little uh, mm. uh, shallow but but well, as you said the, the coming of age element of it is that over the course of the film that changes mm-hmm. and they stop being uh, I, I don't want to sound like a poster they stop being jokey and they start being funny um, and, and they start being a little more honest, mm-hmm. and and also because you know even though Kumail is the is the larger part of the film as far as because Emily is in a coma, Emily also has a lot of growing up to do, yes. and and this this brush with death and 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 people just deciding how they want to live, uh, which is basically what the film is about. That is reflected in the dialogue change. So I think it's I think it's a good observation by Vic about the beginning being very. TV show quick and, mm-hmm. and glib, and and I remember when I first started watching the film, I was like, oh, I expected more. But then mm-hmm. as it transitioned, I, I I got a little more of what I expected. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's those are all really good points. I, I totally agree. And I and I I think my point about eliminating the sickness is just a silly one. I I don't see how you could possibly have eliminated the sickness in this film because you're right. He as that happens. That's part of his maturation process. That's part of her maturation process is not treating uh, the world as glib and as uh, lightly as possible. So, so I was just I was just being stupid. I don't know what else to say. Well, I mean, protagonists is only they only change when they have conflict forces them to change. Right, so that right. that is the conflict. I, and I in my book I call that the amoeba effect. You put an electric shock on amoeba's ass and it moves forward. That's the way it is. <laughs> Um, so I liked I liked a lot of the way that they you know the uh, the idea of romantic comedies too and in, in some cases is to meet cute and so she woohoo's uh, him during his set and uh, he says uh, to he says the audience uh, is Pakistan in the house and it says a woman woohoo's Camille looks out over the crowd and sees Emily late third eight twenties white with a streak of blue in her hair uh, she sits at the table with a few friends Kamal says. Um, you're not from Pakistan. I would have noticed you. And then they cut the scene, and they should have put a slug line in there, but they didn't. But then we pick up with them later on, um, on page six and seven, where they were getting into a little bit of who they are and how much they're attracted to each other, uh, which I thought was a great section. Mm-hmm. Um, good back and forth establishes their relationship, sets the tone. Uh, I really like Toby's point about the fact that she's got some growing up to do too. And at that age, I mean, you know, twenties, we all have that that growing up to do. Um, but it 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 starts to dovetail the storylines because they meet at a comedy club, which is the one storyline, and they fall in love probably almost instantly, which is the other storyline, one of the other storylines. Uh, page eight is they're in. So without without giving you too much. Uh, um, detail they they basically sleep together that i think any bedroom scene on a first hookup uh we're on about page eight or nine is is a great there's always great tension in that because because we all know what that's like that first time 
you know, you, do you kiss her? Do you take off your clothes? Do you, you know, how appropriately or inappropriately do you act um, at that moment? And, you know, I think for men, it's always like, should I act like a guy and just go for it? Or should I be sensitive or, you know, what, you're trying to read the situation and it's never a comfortable thing. And I think that's very well translated in these pages. Uh, and I like the fact that they, they have sex immediately. I think that's realistic, right? Yeah. 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 Definitely at that age too. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I just love the fact that they they do it while watching night of the living dead. Cause you know, right. that's how I would totally do it. Well, and he, he likes B movie. He likes uh, B horror films. So that's a, that's a running joke. Um, on page nine, they have this great dialogue, Emily. Oh, wow. That's a totally, that's totally an inflated mattress. Come on. Yeah. Did you think it would be a flat inflatable mattress? Emily, I did think it might be an actual mattress. Come on. Well, our mattresses are actual mattresses. You're being bigoted towards air-based comfort items. <laughs> and I just like the way he phrases things. Um, now, here's a, Toby, I don't know. You, you, you know, you're the editor. Did you feel this intercut between them in bed watching Night of the Living Dead and then you cut into the uh, living room and, and Chris, the roommate, is having a conversation with Siri and it's not really that funny, and it's not really that uh, story pertinent. And then it comes. Then we go back to Kamal's bedroom post post coital. How did you feel about that transition as a as a editor or a writer? Okay, well, I'll use a very technical editor term. Uh, it sucks. <laughs> uh, it's it's not funny. It's obvious. It's dated before the ink off the laser printer is dry. <laughs> but and I remember. Well, see, the thing is, I remember reading this recently and being like the hell is it like it sticks out like a thumb i don't remember if this is even in the movie and and um and honestly uh as an editor once you had this sitting in front of you there'd be a point where you would cut the scene out Uh and just put a dissolve between the two right you know they start they you know they eye each other flirtatiously laugh lean in and kiss shot of the moon perhaps or the ocean crashes the birds yeah yeah Dissolve to Kumail and Emily postcoital right. because obviously they wanted to make it clear that it wasn't that kind of movie where we were going to have a little bit of uh, titillation. Right. Yeah, it's not the really. But wow, I mean, if they couldn't give Chris anything better to do than this, well, that's what I thought too. I mean, you, you know, he's supposed to be the inappropriate roommate. Why not have him listening at the door or right. you know something like that? Something that would have been and and it's it. I mean, I don't know, Vic. Did you feel it was? Did you feel it was as awkward as uh, Toby and I did? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely. Uh, it, it doesn't do what a scene's supposed to do, you yeah. know. So, right. so you could feel the punctuation. Yeah, and, and Toby, you're. I don't know. Maybe you're right. I don't remember. I have. I haven't seen the movie for about uh, two months. So maybe it's not even in the in the in the movie. But what's very revelatory right there is clearly if we've both seen the movie and we don't remember this scene, that means it didn't give us a laugh. Right. It didn't do anything to make itself. It it was just a nice way to go away and come back a couple of minutes later. Yeah. Right. All right. So page 10 and 11 is their post coital and um, they're talking about just some stuff. Um, You know, I mean, it's just good. I thought good comedy ban- banter. Uh, like for instance, Emily was voted most noticeable. Uh, I had acne. I was a goth. I had terrible perm. The kids called me Beetlejuice. I don't know why. Actually, I do know why. It's because I thought I looked like Beetlejuice. They thought I looked like Beetlejuice. And then she kind of splits pretty quickly. Um, I mean, it, they show they show both him. They show him as a as a young man looking like a player, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and here, and they talk about her, so that gives us a little bit of background about them, which I thought was I thought that was handled pretty well. The, that insertion of that background stuff. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's a yeah. great post meet cute part of the, but and I think it does a nice job because because then Emily is out to ready to leave. It does kind of re. re uh, it reinforced that it was just a hookup and not necessarily as meaningful to Emily as it might have been to Kamel. Right. But yeah. we also learn a little bit about them that will help us in the rest of the film. Yeah, right. and it also shows how uncomfortable they are with it as yeah. well. Well, that's true because in a little while, that uh, the, the dialogue goes to Camille, wait, we, we haven't even had sex again yet. And she says, no, 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 I'm not that kind of girl. I only have sex once on a first date plus a hand job. And then Kamel says, well, I haven't had that yet. And she laughs and she says, you don't get that because you made fun of me. Then he says, it, the tone kind of switches. Uh, 
a little bit. It says, what is happening right now? What are you doing? And she says, I'm changing under this blanket. And Kamal says, I've seen everything. Do you remember we just having sex? And the reason I could relate to that is the first time I had sex with my ex-girlfriend um, of, well, we lasted for about seven years, she changed in the closet. Um, I couldn't find her after after I got back from the bathroom and I looked around and I thought she had left and I opened the closet and she's in the closet changing. And I thought, I said, what are you doing in there? And she said, I- I'm changing. And I said, you know, we just had sex, right? I mean, almost exactly the same conversation. So, well, so, let me ask you though, Mark, when you saw that in the film, perhaps, mm-hmm. did you enjoy, because it had that parallel to a similar experience with you? Did you be like, Oh, this feels very authentic. This is a, that's what I, I, felt. I enjoy this. Yeah. Well, I, I felt it. I felt it felt authentic. Cause I know women are very shy. Uh, at times about uh, their bodies. I mean, guys will walk around with their, you know, with uh, with every all their tackle hanging out and stuff. But women are very, very, and and it's funny because I don't know if that's just a, if that's just my observations. And but yeah, I oh. felt it was authentic. They're they're definitely, especially at that age too. Even if like a like a, a woman's like absolutely dead, dropped dead gorgeous in her twenties, like they're still mm-hmm. super shy about that. You know? Yeah, that's yeah. true. Well, and also what what uh, Vic said earlier about maturity. You know, like there is a certain uncomfortable with yourselfness, and, yeah. and at this age particularly, and what makes them capable of joining up later is that they both want to be known. By somebody in right. in, a, in a in a next level way, and and perhaps Kumail a little more so. That's why he's busting out pictures of me with my uh, with my Hugh Grant haircut, uh, <laughs> and and I still have my pictures of my Hugh Grant haircut for for just that occasion. I I, um, I kind of pegged you as a flock of flock of seagulls. Oh gosh, no, no, I, I was uh, the flock of seagulls does not work for a person of my carriage. It just looks like <laughs> giving up. Dude, he's giving up. You know, I've seen pictures of you when you were younger, and you looked great. So I don't, I don't know what that is. You could, have, you could have rocked this flock of seagulls haircut. So, um, so on thirteen fourteen, uh, they're heading. He's taking her home, and again, this is. I think what I like about this uh, is what I liked about Get Out. Also, was they never miss a opportunity for a bit of comedy or a bit of you know whatever. Her sitting in the back seat. Uh, and him as an Uber, it says Kumal, Kumal Ubers Emily home. Emily sits in the back. Now, I, I'm uncomfortable with people sitting in the back seat of my car unless I was an Uber driver. So I thought that was pretty funny that she was they're, – they're still kind of holding themselves um, at arm's length um, rather than symbolically becoming closer by sitting in the front seat. Yeah. And I thought that was a nice little detail. Um, oh, the other thing was, I don't know if this was in the movie, but she, she calls for an Uber and his phone rings, right? Is that in the yeah, movie? Yeah, that, that oh. goes, yeah, that's in the movie. That's funny. That's yeah. Funny. On 14, uh, that's more of the, um, oh, and then the rules that he sets the rules of their relationship, which is I can't see you for two days now, right? Uh, which of course they, they violate constantly and continually. And then on 15 or 14, um, they start, we start the, the third story line, which is his parents attempt, his mother, especially his mother's attempt to get him hooked up with a Pakistani girl, nice Pakistani girl, Hindu girl or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love this, uh, uh, I love the line where he says, uh, something about, um, I mean, he treats his parents, he's just merciless with his parents, but there were, I I'm, I'm can't find the page. I can't find my page 15, but it's something to the effect of, I have a prediction, it'll be a girl who happens to just pa- be passing by because we're in a cult, but, but we're in a cul-de-sac. And uh, the next thing my mom will say is, uh, look who st- happened to stop by or something like that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's on 16. Yeah. On 16. <laughs> oh, is it? Okay. Oh, Maybe yeah, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's that's a that's a subplot. But you know what's interesting about that subplot is that actually is an all romantic comedies have at the core an immature set of players and an an issue that's going to break the couple up. And at some point, that issue about him putting the pictures of these and I don't know why he keeps the pictures of these girls. It doesn't make a lot of sense to his character, but he keeps them. I think because he wants to hang on to his childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that when she finds that box, that's a big moment, right? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 that is when we talk about the whole maturity, the, the coming of age part of it is he, he keeps the photographs. He stays in 
both worlds. Right. Uh, on, on some level, perhaps he recognizes there's a certain inevitability that he'll eventually go along with what his parents want unless something happens. And that's something that happens is Emily. So yeah, that's, this was, this was a nice, nicely done, very organically, uh, established. Like this, this, when this changes, something has changed and they, 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 they set it up really well because like you, I'm, I'm like, why would he even keep these pictures? Oh, right. you know, there has to be a reason because everything in the film has to be has, deliberate. Right. It has to be deliberate. Exactly. Yeah. yeah what, so, what I find really interesting about this scene too is, uh, especially since a lot, you know, last time we had this podcast, we talked about get out. Mm-hmm. It's literally the same exact all false apart scene from get out where, mm-hmm. where the main character finds a box full of pictures. Right. Oh yeah. Right. Is, I don't know. If there's something that zeitgeist right now with boxes full of pictures, but <laughs> it's literally the same exact scene, well, at the same exact moment in the film. That's interesting, considering that a lot of people are. I mean, myself and Toby and I think Victor probably come from a generation, or at least when we were younger, where, where all pictures were printed on paper. Yeah, definitely. Now it's you know all digital, and people have talked about that. Is where your memory is going for your you know this digital world. So that's interesting that that box of pictures is somewhat representative of the permanence that these uh, maybe these younger uh, this younger generation is looking for. But also the callback to Get Out is fantastic. I it, I completely hadn't thought about that, mm-hmm. but it it is true that it's just it's sort of like in the uh, in the nineties there used to be the bit where somebody would find the the video cassette. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that would be, you know, the, the incriminating sex tape or the video of the murder or whatever. And it was always like, you can't do that. It's just too, it's just too easy. But the photos in a box, there's, there's something there that you, uh, you'll accept it. Yeah, it's physical. Um, uh, so that's, fifth, that's the first 15 of uh, The Big Sick, which is a well-written script uh, at its core. I mean, there's, there's issues and things like that, and certainly we could uh, pick it to death, but I enjoy, I really loved the read. It was quick. It was, mm-hmm. it was engaging. Um, yeah, it was fun. It, it never felt laborious. Right, right. And I, uh, I equally enjoyed the movie too. So uh, it made a good script, made a really good movie. Who directed this? Does anybody know? It was directed by Michael Showalter. Uh, he's oh. primarily known for indies and comedy. He was part of the comedy troupe, The State, which used to be on MTV. Right. And I know that uh, Judd Apatow is a producer on the film, and there was a very collaborative uh, process working on the script with Judd as far as his comedic timing, and then uh, working with uh, uh, Michael Showalter to direct it. You can You can actually see and hear a lot of Apatow in this, uh, the way that he presents comedy, uh, his timings, his rhythms and stuff. So that's- Yeah, and Apatow's all about that, that coming of age type of comedy, like mm-hmm. you're going from man-child to man type of comedy. Right, and and again, most, of, most, most romantic comedies at their core have, no matter what age the characters right. are, uh, like as good as it gets or... Right. Uh, whatever. They're all they're all immature and need to grow up, so Yeah. So uh, let's segue into Vic's top ten comic book movies. Yay. Yay. What'd you come um, up with, Vic? All right, so before we get into this, I just want to um, throw out there that, that there's going to be a Marvel bias. I am a hardcore Marvel Comics fan, so we will skew more towards that direction. Okay. Um, and for all the fans who are listening right now on, on the podcast, if you don't agree with my list, feel free to heckle the crap on me when you see me at Comic-Con. That's yeah, fine or, with me. Or you can go to plotpoints.com, or you can go to our Facebook page or whatever and, uh, and make fun of them. So, uh, yeah, exactly. Or, uh, or if you're if you're in your car right now, Vic's address, get a pencil. Just drive by. I don't think they're coming to Slauson. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> All right. Well, tell us what you got for. Uh, go, let's go to, go through the list. I'm I'm I. You know, I agree that your list. Uh, well, anyway, go ahead. Let's start. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll 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 I'll, I'll put the listing, but I'll also say why it's there and okay. why, where is that. All right. Um. So for number ten, I put the original Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the one that was directed by Kenneth Bra- Brana, And the reason why I put that um, at number 10 is because of, of, I know it didn't do well and a lot of fans didn't like it because there wasn't enough action, et cetera. But, um, you know, any screenwriter worth their salt has a background in theater. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, if you watch this film, uh, not in the perspective as a superhero movie, but as like a 
big budget stage play, then you'll really get a lot out of it because it's, it's directed, written, very Shakespearean. You know, it's about brother versus brother, father versus son. You know, it's about two different kingdoms at war. Um, so if you look at it from that perspective, then it becomes more than a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. And that's why I listed it at number 10. Well, and um, you, you've listed, it says, written by Ashley Miller and Jack Stentz, Don Payne, story by J. Michael Straczynski. 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 I mean, I, that's, uh, that's interesting. The Shakespearean angle is very interesting. Yeah, and we actually had JMS at, mm-hmm. again, as guests at the theater event as he was writing this movie. Yeah, he was talking about it, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Mark, you could have you could have actually been the influence for Odin, Mark. They could have been. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> yeah, I actually do have one really I have a bad eye. So it's true, the eye patch. That's that's why that's why I make the parallels. They're obvious now that we think about it. Now. I see it. Okay. All right. Uh, the only problem with that is I think in the latest Thor I die, so I'm not sure I'm I'm down with that totally. <laughs> but you die on your terms and he comes back if there's a big enough check for Thor four. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay number nine number nine um i put iron man the original one because mm-hmm. um, it kicked off the you know the marvel age of cinematic you know universe right mm-hmm. uh, so this is the one that started it all um the the world that we currently live in um the universe the universe the marvel the, universe. the cinematic universe yes right. so yeah this is start off of it, and that's why i gave it a spot number nine um what i think iron man did really well besides kick off the entire marvel universe is that it modernized that and showed how um, how you could take the the situation and, and put it in today. So instead of him being in Vietnam and having all this stuff happens, it happens in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. right? And it's pretty much the same exact thing happens, and still West versus East, mm-hmm. which is the uh, you know the the theme of the entire franchise. Yeah. Number eight. Um, uh, I I know a lot of people will fight me with this one, and especially the DC fans. But I actually, because this is probably is the best DC movie, but I put Wonder Woman's number eight. You're ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, and and the reason why is you know the and again it shows my bias towards Marvel and and DC and you know Marvel is all about relatability, right? That's why it takes place in the real real world. Um, all the characters live in real places besides Wakanda and you know Latveria, but you know they all live in different parts of New York, right? And and the things that happen in our world happen in Marvel, right? So you know one of the the great examples of that is when nine eleven happened here, um, JMS wrote the the 9-11 issue of spider-man where all the marvel heroes like they all feel their own feelings as human beings because they couldn't stop it but the only thing they could do is help new york rebuild mm-hmm. right which is what any of all any, any of us could do right was, we, we, we couldn't stop 9-11 from happening but we could help america rebuild in our own individual way and that's one of the strengths of Marvel. It's always been relatability, right? Well, but I, I mean, dude, uh, you know, Thor does not exactly live on Earth, and and uh, right, you know, Aquaman or not Aquaman, uh, the 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 Mariner is not exactly a. Uh, I mean, he's a demigod, basically. I don't right, right. But the the relatability from those characters are their their char- their character flaws. Mm-hmm. Thor is arrogant, right? Which we all suffer from, and then it's because it's hubris that he has to be humbled, which is a major coming of age event that we all have to go through mm-hmm. okay seven um, seven okay and i know mark's gonna fight me on this one but i put spider-man homecoming as number seven mm-hmm. and what i think is significant about this movie and why it's even on the list is it shows that that um that even if sony butchers the entire sony spider-man franchise which they did right um if you give the franchise back to its original creators, which is Marvel, they mm-hmm. could they could do it the right way. And I felt Spider-Man: Homecoming actually did Peter Parker and Spider-Man the right way. They made him that you know that 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 kid that anybody could relate with, who who has those insecurities and who's kind of pathetic, you know, but but comes of age throughout by by going through the adventure. And I yeah, think that's I, why I put it on the list. I thought, yeah, I didn't like this film as much as I liked the Tobey Maguire version because I thought that. I thought this one was too far afield of that relatability, you know, the dweeb and stuff. I, yeah, let's skip ahead. I want to go through, uh, I want to get to the top. Th- let's go to the top three. So at number okay. six, you had Big Hero 6, which I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I'm going to say that should be invalidated. I'm talking about not, I'm not talking about, um, I don't think we should be talking about animated superhero movies, but why did you pick that one? Well, because most people don't know it's a Marvel comic. 
Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, see, most people don't know. Yeah, it's but a you don't have. Movie. We didn't. I didn't ask you for a Marvel list. You, you I know, but it, it is a superhero movie, <laughs> and it's you know, and it and it like it did something great. Like it showed that Marvel, um, the Marvel superheroes don't just work in eye fashion; they actually can work in animation too, and they could be mm-hmm. deeply emotional, mm-hmm. in which what Big Hero Six really was. Well, I mean, if you're going to put those on the list, though, you got to stick the Incredibles on here too. I yeah, mean, but that wasn't you know that 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 never had a, a root in comic books. That's why I didn't put it on the list. Mm-hmm. All right, okay. Yeah. The, the, the list is for top 10 comic book movies. These all had to be based on That's comic true. Books. That's a good point. Okay. Number five was Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Yeah. And, and, n- number four was the Avengers, the original Avengers. Is that the one? Yeah, the one in 2012. All right. So let's go to number three, The Dark Knight. I think, uh, Toby, did you like The Dark Knight? Uh, I really liked The Dark Knight when I saw it. Unfortunately, I don't think any of the Nolan Batmans also sort of hold up, but there's, there's a lot of interesting, um, I, I think it's interesting how quickly they became dated, but they're great time capsules of what we were thinking about at that time. So why did you put that at number three? Because, uh, the dark Knight um, did like a, I, I felt it did a great representation of who I feel is the greatest, uh, um, villain in all of comic dumb, whether Marvel, DC image, et cetera, um, which is the Joker. And mm-hmm. it, and it did such a great job of showing you, who the Joker is, what he wants, and how he ticks. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel all other cinematic representations of him um, weren't as well, uh, didn't do a really good job of showing really it. And then number two is the one the one I absolutely positively agree with you on, which is? Logan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I, I put this really high on the list because this shows that superheroes can grow up. This one's probably the most like visceral out of all the movies on the list. Um, yeah, it, it, because it takes the, you know, something that a franchise is, you know, very, very cartoony in the beginning, you know, um, but then it takes it and puts into the, the real world that we live in and, and the maturity that we're used to on a day-to-day basis as adults, you know? It's a very dark, uh, much darker version of uh, of uh, Wolverine. But Toby, did you like Logan? I did. I really I really enjoyed Logan, and uh, but we did talk about for Academy Awards season, I, I didn't think that the script was Oscar worthy, but that's, you know, that's a different atmosphere anyway. But Logan, I felt was fantastic and has a lot of thoughtfulness and uh, just a lot of stuff that uh, the adult uh, reader of comic books or like as a child, you read the comic books and Logan Wolverine is, is a, a great hero for kids because he is black and white. Mm-hmm. But then you tell one where it's an older Logan and now there are shades of gray and, and age and doubt and regret. And as an adult, you should be in that place too. And, and in a, in a weird way, sort of like the last Jedi, I really enjoyed how it, 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 it deconstructs a little bit what Logan, what Wolverine was always about. And I, I really did enjoy that. All right. So a uh, good list, Victor, we're at number one. What is your number one comic book movie? I, I my number one comic book movie. Um, it's the number one movie in the world right now, which is Black Panther. Mm, very and, good. Uh, thank you. Uh, and I I know, like in a previous podcast, you you, you had your issues with uh, the motivations with the 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 antagonists and stuff like that. But I feel um, the greatest movies of all time have always been like. Uh, culturally the greatest movies of all time they 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 say something about our culture or they you know they, they they do something that that remember we remember culturally in the future and i feel that black panther is that movie for superhero movies right now mm-hmm. toby yeah i mean i'll i'll certainly agree on that uh, uh argument about its impact on culture i think some of the other movies on this list don't have that impact <laughs> on culture that that you're using as a criteria and so i'd say as much as i love black panther and the more the, the more distance i get from it the more I like um, moral ambiguity that's only been before that. I would say the winter soldier is the only one that had the same moral ambiguity about if I'm a good person, but I do a bad thing. Am I still a good person? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of these films don't delve into that dark Knight shamelessly, you know, one of the things that dark Knight is really good for, like you said, is that because, because the Joker is fully in balance, not in balanced, but in balance. Right. Um, And it's, it's that performance that elevates the whole film because you see a very persuasive bad guy, very charismatic bad guy. He makes sense. Yeah. I, um, I, I, on that basis, I agree with you. Um, I just found for me that the, the villain wasn't as compelling. He seemed like a cliche. And even though he was trying to elevate um, the black race, I guess, or African Americans mm-hmm. or whatever, or Africans or what uh, people of color will say, I just never found him all that compelling. I, I, 
I don't know. I I agree. I wanted more Black Panther. Mm-hmm. I did enjoy that the, the 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 sort of the upset that the film does is that Black Panther is uh and and I don't want to wax poetic. It's it's a little more of an idea mm-hmm. and it's more of a team mm-hmm. and it's more of a movement uh than than a hero. I would have liked him to be more of the hero, but he's more like the the figurehead, the the, the head of the spear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I I was much more entertained by the notion that even though his motivations are all good and proper and everything else, but he, he's on a foundation of not evil or wickedness, but he's on a foundation of not good. Right. And, and that he had to come to terms with that. And that you had an enemy that was as, as fit to be the black Panther as the black Panther was. Mm-hmm. And so those things I enjoyed. Yeah. I think I would have, I, I think the other problem I had with black Panther, black Panther is one I have with all origin issue uh, movies is you, there's a lot to set up. There's a lot to go through. And I think the character and the story always suffers uh, a lot from that. I, I remember the Doctor Strange movie that I really, really was looking forward to. And it's a solid movie. In fact, I'm surprised it's not on this list. Well, I don't know. that It's probably maybe 12 or 13 for me. But because they had to set him up in his world and create this character, it was really a lot of that and not, not as much story or, or I think interesting uh, moments and stuff. So, so I'm going to say that I can't believe Victor fan (laughs) did not include the original Superman, uh, the, what I call the original Christopher Reeve Superman on this list. Yeah. That's a shocker. Yeah, I and the you know I watched it recently. It just, it just doesn't hold up. You know what I mean? Wow! Really? No, 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 no. <laughs> See, it's an it builds a world. It's completely <laughs> sure. It's a 1978 world, but it's a complete. You, I could not disagree more. Mark is right on the money. And when right. and when Glenn Ford has his heart attack, he says, <laughs> "Oh my!" And he just falls right out of the screen. I, I still get choked up because. The because it happens right there, but nobody gets to see it, and it, it just kills me. Yeah, you know that's a really good point you're making about Superman. It has a tremendous amount of humanity in it, mm-hmm. um, which I don't believe a lot of. Like the Iron Man, you, you put Iron Man on this list, and certainly it's a good movie, but it is no, nowhere in no way superior to Superman. Um, a lot of the films that you're mentioning are well constructed, well delivered, uh, you know, well written. Um, yeah, and you can't certainly argue with a billion dollars worth of uh, tickets, but boy, Superman, uh, dude, I'm just going to have to educate you. I can't see this. We're going to have to do away with that DC bias. That's ridiculous. Well, also, there's a couple of other films that since we're saying comic book movies, but now specifically superhero movies that I think should be deserving of an honorable mention. Uh, certainly the original Sin City film mm. was, was, a, was a really great way to tell story using the visual medium, but translating uh, the comic book medium, uh, less successful was the spirit, which came afterwards, but, but, but Sin City uh, Watchmen for all its flaws is a very, uh, is is a def is an adult story. Although it's an, it's a story for adults. It's not an adult story, but it's a story for adults that I think translates the comic book medium really well. I mean, Zack Snyder will, will be remembered perhaps for getting that right in lieu of everything else people didn't like. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the only other thing that I'd like to mention, and, uh, it's an honorable mention because this is the, about movies, but Jessica Jones, the TV series, I think the first season is epic. It's just an incredibly well done uh, translation of a character who is challenging. Uh, and as Victor has mentioned in the past, that villain is the best villain on the planet. What an incredible uh, conception he was. Uh, Kilgrave, right? Yeah, yeah, Purple Man. All right, I think that's going to wrap it up for us um, at at Plot Points Podcast. My many thanks to Toby Walwork, who's uh, who's always as as uh, as usual very um, endearing. And um, there's another term I want to use, but I can't think of it. It's a good one. Sorry, Toby, I can't. I I'll, I'll take endearing any day. Thank okay. you. Uh, I think you also are very thought provoking, but that's not the word I wanted to use. So, and uh, Victor, thanks for sitting in with us. Um, it's always a pleasure to hear you and and uh, have you express your 
your um, your feelings about the world of filmmaking, which I know you're very passionate about. Victor also has an Etsy shop. Um, is that just at Victor Fan? Um, it should be uh, Etsy.com forward slash uh, TCP Comics. Okay. And I will put the links in the show notes to his other things. He has an Amazon, Amazon store. Um, he has a few things. I mean, he's pretty multi-talented. So he's finally starting removing, taking the, uh, his light from under a basket and uh, showing it to the world. So, so thank, thank you, you, my friend, for, uh, for, for joining us. Both uh, Toby and uh, Victor are an integral part of OC Screenwriters, and my appreciation to them for that. Um, we are uh, next. Our next script that we'll be breaking down is Wind River. Uh, which you can find. I will put a link to the show notes for that script. But you can also see the movie on Netflix streaming. And uh, don't forget, on April 18th, on May 16th, and on June 20th, which are Wednesday nights, we have some great guests and uh, functions happening at the C3 Vape and Coffee Shop in Costa Mesa. You can go to ocscreenwriters.com or octfilmandtv.com and see some information there about them. Uh, you can sign up for our newsletter, which is ocscreenwriters.com, and just find the newsletter link. Um, and then uh, we, we always try to send out uh, two or three newsletters about these events. Um, we have a great, potentially great event coming up in June. Uh, I'll know more on Monday, but that is something to look forward to because it involves the, uh, the, the writer-directors from The Gallows, the movie The Gallows, which... Uh, which there, which would be a lot of fun. I can't, I can't wait to talk to these guys or have them, have them. So we're, we're gonna, we're finalizing all that soon. Um, as always, please be inspired. Do good work. Thank you.